Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so glad you're with us today. My dear friends, my whole life has been what we used to call back in the 60s a long, strange trip. I have spent nearly all my free time over more than 50 years in doing various kinds of research. Uh, At first, I was trying to understand my experience of light at the age of eight, and that led me to try to figure out God, which led me to try to understand Jesus once I realized that my childhood experience of light had lightly come from where the dead are now, then I had to plunge right into trying to figure out death and and learn whether we survive it, which, of course, we do. We do survive death. The evidence is abundant and consistent. But even when you get to that point, you have no idea still where all that after-death stuff happens. And there's some strange physics in the raw afterlife evidence. It's just, it's like nothing you can imagine. And where could it be? I mean, you can't see it, you can't hear it or smell it, you can't touch it. So how could it be real? That's why my coming to understand death in the afterlife led me to try to figure out reality itself. And that was where I hit my first little snag. The problem all of us have in trying to figure out anything related to this material reality is that we can't trust either of our two most trusted institutions. Of course, we can't trust religions. I mean, they're just religions, for heaven's sake. Most of them are centuries old, and they're all about believing, having faith. They're not about knowing. And sadly, what you may not realize is that mainstream science is also all about believing. Scientific research is controlled by gatekeepers, which are mainly the scientific journals and the university departments. And for more than 100 years, those gatekeepers have insisted that only materialist research can be done. Only materialist results can be published. If it's not related to matter, then it's not real. And science to this day ignores it. So, therefore, science is covered by a dogma, too. And they even called it a dogma way back when. They don't do that now. They used to call it the fundamental scientific dogma of materialism. And they put it in place more than a century ago so they wouldn't have to investigate the bounty of really great afterlife communications that were flooding in at the start of the 20th century and, you know, for a cent, maybe, maybe a decade before and a couple, three decades after that. These gatekeepers still have materialism as their fundamental dogma, and they have kept working scientists in a literal straitjacket ever since. Even though the quantum physics pioneers, and most notably the great Max Planck himself, realized at least a century ago that consciousness is probably fundamental. We've talked about that before. Reality actually is not material at all. So to require that it be studied only as if it were matter has made basically made science stuck in one spot for pretty much a century. I mean, technology has progressed. But basic science is in a terrible rut. They can't figure out where consciousness comes from. They can't figure out how life got started. They really can't figure out much of anything. 
So in the end, the hardest part of my lifetime of compulsive, compulsive research was trying to figure out what we now call the greater reality. I really had come to understand all the rest. What I still needed to figure out, though, was where and how it all happened and how that aspect of reality fit together with this reality that we think we know. In the end, I really never could figure it out until we started to get good quantum physics for dummies books in the first few years of this century. Then so much more that we now understand about the afterlife began to make sense. I mean, the, the crazy, crazy physics of the afterlife made sense. So much of it made sense. And we, then you could start to look at, at science and things like dark matter and energy and how that fits in. And it was amazing. Early part of this century, suddenly it began to make sense. And then wonderfully, in 2008, the inestimable, wonderful Dr. R. Craig Hogan published Your Eternal Self. You must read that if you haven't read it. That was when I first realized that somebody else had made all my same discoveries. I think that Craig Hogan and I may be the only two people who have done all the afterlife research, figured that out, and who then have carried it right through to the solid understanding of the greater reality that he and I share. There may be people listening who know someone who has done all that research and independently figured it out, and I'd love to know them. So please contact me or have them contact me. But the way it looks now is he and I are, are a, a pair. <laughs> Basically, we're just that's one reason he's so often our guest here. The thing is, once we got together finally, and immediately I was I wrote him fan emails. I brought him to Austin so that we could uh, have him do a, give a speech. I just thought he was terrific, and we started talking. And when we talked from the for the very first time, we were already completing one another's sentences. He and I had arrived at virtually the identical understanding of how reality works, which was the most wonderful part of it all. Craig has written a new book now, which very well sums up where he and I have both independently ended up. It's called There is Nothing But Mind and Experiences. There is Nothing But Mind and Experiences. I'm so excited to recommend it to you, and I have no reservations whatsoever. That's true. That's all that exists. And we have to talk about that and what it means or begin to talk about it. So today our guest is going to be your host. We're going to talk about what is the most important thing on an eternal scale that we ever possibly could talk about. There truly is nothing whatsoever that exists except for one vast eternal mind of which each of our minds is an integral part, not like dots, but we are inextricably part of it the way smoke is part of the air. We are part of that mind, which in every instant is manifesting reality freshly. Didn't start it like a, like a clockwork uh, machine thousands, millions of years ago. No. Um, reality is freshly created in each separate micro instant. And our minds are part of that creation. This is a very important concept for everyone to understand because it makes tremendous sense, number one. It explains so many things, number two. But number three, your mind is that powerful. Your mind is part of the same infinitely powerful mind that manifests all of reality. You're much more than any of us have ever understood. Our minds are creating what we think of as real. And, of course, that, that brings up something 
which is, is, is problematic because we all realize that things are rough in this world beyond anything, frankly, in my whole lifetime. And I'm a lot older than you are. I don't care how old you are, I'm a lot older. Think of all the anger, hatred, rage, you know, the burning of the, of the of the cities in the United States during the summer. All of the, you know, the 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 uh, religious um, assassinations of people for being just of a different religion, terrorism. Think of all the horrors of of recent years and this in this world, and know that your mind has been part of creating all of that, as has mine. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The re- there are reasons why our minds ha- have not been effective at stopping all of these things. We might want them to stop, but there are reasons why they have not been effective at actually succeeding at that. So let's call this episode of Seek Reality the care and feeding of your mind, and let's get right to it. Okay, so our minds are the co-creator of reality. The most important thing that any of us can therefore do for our own happiness now and for the health of the world is to begin immediately to clean out and tidy up our minds. It turns out that nothing in our minds is private. I, this is this is a shock, I know, but this is true. Let's look at some of what we have lately learned about the amazing powers and the unique characteristics of our minds. First, I've got to reiterate that the only thing that actually exists is what we experience in a limited way as consciousness. Max Planck said that. It's absolutely true. For convenience, we're just calling that consciousness Mind with a capital M. There's just one mind, and that, it, that one mind includes all our minds. It's all that exists, and it manifests everything that we think is real. Okay, second, eternal mind is powerful, infinitely powerful, insofar as we're able to determine there's no end, there's no limit to the power of that amazing, eternally, infinitely powerful mind. Basically, we found God, although God's nothing like what we've always thought God was like. God is perfect. God has no human flaws. So third, the awareness that you experience while you're in a body is accessing maybe, we aren't sure, but we think it's maybe 20%, maybe 30% at most of your actual mind. Most of your own vast eternal mind is left behind when you enter a body. Scientists call it your subconscious mind. It would be much more accurate to call it your superconscious mind. One of the first things that happened when you return to the afterlife, uh, and which we really, you know, should be calling our real life, is that you merge back into the rest of your mind. <laughs> it's apparently an extraordinary experience. Suddenly, you have a lot more memories, and you feel absolutely brilliant. That's one of the first things that happened when you go home. I think it's very important that we understand how limited our minds are now, how extraordinary and powerful our minds are when we get home. One of the things about them, uh, of our minds that's wonderful is that we can, for example, learn to play the piano almost instantly, which is one of the things I want to do. We learn so much more easily, and we have so much more capacity to do so many more things. But that's just the way it is. That's That's just reality. Fourth, your mind is not private, not private in any sense of the word private. 
Whatever is in your mind is readily accessible to other minds, and especially to the minds of beings who are not now in bodies. It's accessible to everybody's mind. I mean, when, when you're thinking of someone and, they, and the phone rings and it's them, you, there was a connection there, which because we don't believe it's possible, we ignore. But in fact, everybody's mind is open to everybody else's mind. There is nothing private about our minds. The Godhead can access our minds. Our spirit guides readily, as you know, access our minds. And, you know, your mother can access your mind. Everybody can. So it's not private. Fifth, since our minds are all part of a single mind, they interact and work together beneath our awareness. That's an important thing to know. You may not be thinking you are creating something or assisting in the creation of something, But every horror in this world faces now is simply the result of the interactions of millions of minds whose proprietors, the people who own those minds, have allowed them to fill up with fear, violence, anger, hatred, all the negativity possible. And they're working together to project that negativity into the world around us. Where did Antifa come from? Now you know. Sixth, your mind is eternal. Far from just blinking out, as scientists think our minds blink out, or maybe shriveling into just a little bitty soul, whatever, when your body dies, your mind will go on and to inhabit your post-death body, augmented by that greater mind it returns to, and entirely intact. One of the biggest complaints we hear from people who have died and are communicating is, they aren't any different. I'm not suddenly wonderful and new and, and, and you know smart and all those things. I mean, yeah, I'm smart. But I'm no better spiritually than I was when I left my body on earth. That's an amazing fact, which, um, you know, kind of sets you back and makes you think, maybe we ought to work at it harder while we're here. Because all of this is true, you're going to be living in your present mind, essentially, eternally, forever. And when you know this, when you really get it, it starts you thinking hard about where you would prefer to spend your eternity. Do you want to spend it in a mind that is full of beautiful flowers and music and joy and love and laughter? A paradise? Or do you want to spend it in a mind that is effectively a sewer of negative feelings? That's the choice that faces each of us. And it faces us today, long before we leave, because the best time to fix your mind is while you're here. It's not once you go home. And when I really got all of this about 20 years ago, I realized it was finally time to clean up my act. If I'm going to be living in this mind forever, then I wanted to make it a happier place. If my mind is generating good or evil in the world, then I'd kind of rather have it generating only good. And if other people can readily see what I'm thinking, whether or not either aware of it, they can, then my mind isn't only my mind at all, is it? It actually, it's, it's more like my living room. It's where I spend most of my time, where I entertain my spirit guides, and where I meet with God. It's where my dead mother and friends might visit. As I say, it was about 20 years ago when I rethought everything about my mind, including even the way I think. For me to share this process with you now would have felt uncomfortable 20 years ago. But one of the fruits of cleaning up your mind, your mental living room effectively, is that now you're always ready for guests. You're not worried about the dust. There isn't any. Now I have no mental secrets. So please come in, take a chair, and have a cup of tea. 
I'm going to suggest that you do now, or as soon as you can make yourself get to it, just what I did. And I'm happy to assure you that it really was easy. It's been easy for 20 years. I didn't think it would be. I thought it would be a big deal, but it's not. It feels good. It feels good to clean up your mind. If you decide that it's time for you to try that, then for, you know, for, for the sake of a better world both today and eternally in your own personal eternal life, then I'm going to tell you now what I did 20 years ago and why it worked so well. It really worked wonderfully. First, begin right now to live with the top of your head wide open. I was religious when I began this project, so I was calling it at the time living with an open prayer line. But what I really was doing was inviting my own guides into my mind and asking them to help me clean up this mess. That image that the top of your head is just a big open circle so anyone can come right in, and so every thought you have you are sending directly to God is a powerful symbol of yielding and it does transform the way you think in very very positive ways okay the second thing you should do that i did is stop all media all media no more tv movies radio or newspapers we didn't really much have much internet 20 years ago but no more tv i stopped it dead cold no more movies except for those that I have a friend who will tell me what movies are okay for me to see, and I will watch sometimes watch them, but I don't miss them. No more radio, no more newspapers. I just read, at this point, I just read the editorial page. There are three editorial pages in the Wall Street Journal. It comes to my house anyway, so I check those, but I usually just skim the headlines. That's it. Otherwise, I haven't seen a movie or a TV program for 20 years, haven't read any newspapers, and you know, you think in the beginning you're going to miss it because it was so consuming your life, all of this media. But what you're doing is giving yourself back a whole lot of precious time. I didn't miss it at all. Doing this way back 20 years ago has made all the writing I've done since even possible. Not only because it is, has kept me from distracting myself with negativity, but also because I had whole evenings when I could do this, I gave myself back so much of my own life just by stopping media. But then, of course, the media that's come along since is the Internet, and it's very important that you police your Internet use as well. I do use the Internet. I use it primarily for research, and there are a couple of websites that I use to just skim the news because it's kind of nice when I don't have to ask my husband everything about the news but but it's, I'm very careful not to let anything negative into my mind. I have never played any kind of a video game, violent or otherwise, but I certainly would never play a violent video game. Your goal in doing this is to absorb zero, zero negativity. And to be frank at this point, as we know, the Internet is a negativity sewer. My attitude is this. If anything future happens that's big enough for people to tell me about it they will but if if nothing has happened this week next week the week that follows that's big enough for people who think i ought to know about it and my husband is very up to date he tells me what i should know but if nobody wants to tell me about it then it's not worth my knowing it 
I have gone for 20 years hardly knowing what the news is, and I have, I've, I don't think I missed a blessed thing. It's, it was a revelation to me that this was true. All right, the fourth thing you need to do is also police your relationships. Many of us have people in our lives who are drags and downers. Whatever's going on, they find something bad about it, and they want to share their opinions, and they want to make you feel as bad as they do. I'm, you know who I'm talking about. It could be Great Aunt Mildred. It could be, you know, a childhood friend. It could be, could be someone who's very close to you. You cannot entirely avoid these people, especially if they're family members, but you ought to gradually and sweetly find ways to minimize their, your contact with every negative person who is now in your life. If it's someone you can't avoid, then at least tell that person that what you're trying to do is avoid negativity. I have people in my life still who once were much more negative, and actually some of them have replicated some of what I've done because it's no fun to feel crappy about things. Let's be frank. If you can help people to make these changes in their lives as you can, you know, as you're making them yourself, you're doing them a wonderful, wonderful gift. Okay, fifth, police your own thoughts. We used to think, you know, that we could let our private thoughts run wild. And I mean, I remember what that was like. But doing that is it's like allowing a herd of demented puppies to run around your living room making a mess. So maybe they're really demented demons and dragons. Don't do that to yourself. Never allow yourself to have a single unpoliced thought that is in any way negative, whether it's anger, hatred. I mean, as you are raising your, your spiritual vibration, you're naturally going to rise above these emotions anyway. But police them right from the start, right from when you start this, because they can pollute your living room. And if they do that and pollute your thoughts, then they're polluting the world as well. What's in your mind pollutes the world if it's not good, powerful, positive, enriching. When I first started to police my thoughts, my habit became pretty quickly to just have a few happy thoughts always at the top of my mind that I could grab and I could right away counter anything negative. And you'll find your own little habits that work best for you. Sixth, invite your primary guide to have complete access to your mind. We, we think of our primary guides as, you know, there anyway, but they, they really are very respectful of our privacy. They would really only come in by invitation. I didn't know for another 15 years after I started this who my primary guide even was, but I knew I had one. So in opening the top of my head, I also opened it to my guide. It's okay to come in. I was worried at first. I mean, think about it. When, when you're in a body, there are things you do that maybe you don't want other people to see. But my guide helped me understand, even before I knew who he was, long before I knew who he was, that they don't care about what we do in the bedroom or the bathroom. They really don't. It's, it's of no interest to them. Uh, they, you know, then maybe you have fantasies that you enjoy, but that uh, you know they're not necessarily kosher. Okay, they they try to avoid our fantasies too. They try to give us as much privacy of thought as they can, but they can't avoid all our fantasies. I I have I have a, it isn't that horrible a fantasy, but I have one fantasy I know Thomas hates, and so when I want to go to sleep and I'm having trouble falling asleep, I say, okay, Thomas, I'm going to have that fantasy again. And immediately I'm out like a light. He puts me right to sleep. 
So, it, in fact, it's gotten to the point now where um, all I have to do is start to think of it, and he puts me to sleep. It's very handy when you have that kind of a, you know, little short short trigger, short term thing you can you can say that will ha- get him to help you or her. Many people have a female guide to help you in your life. But understand that your guide only wants to help you, and the closer you can allow your guide to be to your thoughts, the more powerful will be your guide's help in your life. So, you know, invite your guide to come in and be part of uh, cleaning up your living room and then helping you to keep it clean. Actually, what I've found is that a lot of things that I would have wanted to keep from my guide um, have disappeared as my vibration has risen. I think you'll find the same thing. Seventh, here's something you should think about. Give up on religions. This is optional, but I really urge you to try it. I didn't for another, you know, more than, well, close to a decade after that, partly because my husband is so religious. Religions are fear-based, and that means that all religions will drag you down spiritually. For Christians, the fact that you can have a much better relationship with the genuine Jesus once you are no longer God-fearing seems to be a great incentive to head in that direction. But it is helpful in cleaning up your living room for you to vanquish the fears that, that all religions give us. And finally, eighth, be patient and be positive. This can be hard at first because you're changing so many of your habits at once. But remember, you always are in control. If if there's something you worry about missing, like maybe violent video games, just tell yourself that you're giving them up for a week, then maybe for another week. It's like giving up drinking or something. You're in control and you're choosing to do this so you can improve your life both here and hereafter. If you fall off the wagon, just shrug and get back on. What I found was that filling my evenings and the other times when I otherwise would be would be doing some of the things I'd given up with fun things that I could look forward to. I had things that had been piling up that I wanted to do, you know, write fiction and and spend time on the phone with old friends, all kinds of things. If you if you fill your life with those things, you find that you don't miss at all television that had been my big addiction i don't i almost immediately i realized it had been a thief of my life getting rid of it 20 years ago was one of the best things i've ever done in my life it made seeing how much that improved already immediately improved my life made all the rest of it feel easier and happier and you know my, my husband found it shocking at first but I would just say, you know, you watch that show, darling. I'm going to go do some reading or writing or phone calls, whatever I wanted to do. And he got used to it. Now it's just automatic in our lives. We know that he watches the news. He catches up on things. He actually has other things to watch that amaze me. Apparently there's something about Alaskans. He just loves that. I have no idea why. Never, I urge you never to tell people exactly what you're doing. I didn't tell him. I just said, you know, I have something to catch up on because you don't want to give yourself any kind of, of, of standard that people are going to think you've fallen away from. Move your family and your friends into this new stage of your life just naturally over time. They see you're doing things differently. It's okay, but don't give yourself pressures or expectations. My dear friends, you cannot expose your mind to any level of negativity without becoming more negative 
yourself. Your mind is who you are. When you it, when you dump negativity into it, it's just like you know dumping a sewer into it. It's that awful. I mean, if you if you wouldn't put it in front of you in the living room, if you wouldn't make it part of dinner, do not put it in your mind. But the great news is that when you cleanse your living room of negativity and then protect it from any further negativity, you're going to find that your personal vibration begins to rise naturally away from fear and all the other bad emotions toward love. Naturally, even before you do anything more, you feel a little more peaceful every day. And make, it makes you so much happier. You're in control. You feel good about everything. You feel God's love much more clearly when there's never anything you need to protect God from in your life. You can't anyway. You open your mind. You open your heart to God, to Jesus, to your guides, and it feels so glorious. Another thing, actually, that may happen in your life that certainly happened in mine is that you start to have more positive spiritual ambitions for your own life. I mean, think about this. You may be thinking, you know, I wish I could find some glorious thing to do with, with my life, something wonderful. You know, as, as um, Mother Teresa said, I want to do something beautiful for God. You may have those wishes. This makes it possible for you to act on those wishes. First, to find what the perfect things are for you. And then to act on these wishes. It's the most extraordinary thing. I cannot begin to tell you how this feels. It was it was within a decade that I started doing, uh, you know, writing the fun books. And then in, Thomas came out to me in, in uh, you know, five years ago, 15 years after I started this. And ever since then, he has been helping me have the most wonderful life that I could ever, ever imagine happening. And the same is quite possible for you. But the first step has to be cleaning up and policing your mind, just as it was for me. Before that, I was just out of control. I mean, the demented puppies, the demons, whatever, were running riot, riot in my mind, and I didn't even know it. I didn't even have that many thoughts that I thought were horrible, but the result in my life truly was awful. Now I have the joy of doing this work for you. It consumes my life. I can't. I I barely sleep many days. I'm so excited about getting back up and continuing to do this work. There is no joy on earth more glorious than living for a cause that is greater than yourself and that will live long after you. My dear friends, it is impossible for us to overstate how important it is for all of us to clean and tidy up our minds. Doing that has made more of a difference in my life than I can possibly express. Think about what it will do in the world, too. I mean, if we all start to do this, our, our collective mind will make a tremendous difference. Now, I am never angry. I can get cranky sometimes, but never never angry, really, not like before, never unhappy, not like before. And my primary guide tells me that the changes I have made in my life have made it possible for me to make this my last necessary earth lifetime, which boggles me. You should have known me before. Wow, this is incredible. I remember the way I was. If I could do it in one lifetime, I don't care who you are or what you've been doing, you can do the same. 
Of course, the exercises in The Fun of Growing Forever, I'm sure, have helped. But my taking control of my mind was essential preparation. As a great American poet, Walt Whitman, said, Keep your face always toward the sunshine, and all the shadows will fall behind you. He discovered the same thing I discovered. Of course, much of what I've said today comes from my blog at robertagrimes.com, and I'd like to invite you again to just just sign up at robertagrimes.com for for I think it says for um, emails or something. I don't I think it's red, but I don't know the color of the of the block there. But if you do that, um, you will get every week. You'll get my blog post, which I seem to be able to do them. Uh, every week it's amazing but it's because I don't write them Thomas primarily writes them there are now more than 250 weekly blog posts there and they're on a host of topics just about everything you could think of this by the way was is adapted from one of those posts and it's not even a recent one if you have questions you know that you're you wish you could ask me one way you can sort of see if you can get a quick answer is to put some keywords into the search bar that's at the sort of top right not the internet search bar but there's a search bar on the website robertagrimes.com just put in a keyword or two and whatever i've written about it will pop up um if you're curious about something i probably have been curious too and i've researched it and i probably blogged about it at some point over the past five years so enjoy um and again if you know if you need to reach out to me of course do that too amazingly <laughs> we're approaching the end of our time together which is amazing to me wow that was fast this is the beginning of a conversation about our minds and their maintenance science as of yet has no clue about any of what i've told you today because again they're assuming our minds are just generated by our brains and blink out at our deaths, which is, of course, nonsense. And there's ample, ample evidence. Even the scientists know it's nonsense. The only problem is they're so terrified. Science is basically the religion of atheism, and they're very much afraid of actually finding God. And, if, you know, the good news is they won't find the God they think they're trying to avoid. But the, the, the wonderful news is what they'll find is not just all the answers they've been looking for. How does life get started? You know, how, how did it ever get started? Where does it come from now? Where does consciousness come from? How does reality work? They can get all those answers, but they're going to have to give up that fundamental dogma of materialism. Okay, so this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm really glad you could be with us today. Um, I love to be able to talk to you directly, and I, although, frankly, I sort of think I'm not enough. So um, the only reason I did this today is that I don't really know of anybody else other than, of course, Craig, and poor Craig, I burned him too much, who could have done this with me. Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began, and you never will end. And when you really get everything that that means... It's going to change everything, I promise you, everything in your life for the better. It transforms you when you start living your life on an eternal scale. So please, I, I, there are people who say to me, you know, you keep saying that, I'm trying to believe it. No, believe it, it's true. And it's so basic to everything that is going to make all the difference in your life going forward. Next week, our guest is going to be Deanna Drinkar. I first met Deanna years ago, and we have 
occasionally corresponded in the years since because her interest in the fields that we discuss here on Seek Reality has been so intense. And quite frankly, because she's a delight. She's a very, very sweet and lovely person. Deanna was a devoted member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's the Mormons. By the way, did you know the Mormons don't want to be called Mormons? I, that amazes me. We're supposed to call them members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But she calls them Mormons. That's part of what a wonderful person she is. She doesn't care what we call them. But when her father died, and as he began to communicate with her, Deanna started to challenge her own long-held beliefs, because this was so different, really, from what she had ever known uh, as, as a Mormon. She started asking questions, and then soon she was compiling this wonderful, exhaustive list of, of the, all the experts in the, in the field of afterlife studies, their books. She did NDEs, two podcasts that are available. There are many more, by the way, of all of books and podcasts than I, that I ever knew about because I've never cared so much about, you know, being exhaustive about doing the search. But, uh, wow, she has done a wonderful job of putting that together. And she's continued her journey of learning and growth. Next week, she's going to share her journey with us. She's going to also share, which I, this is I'm very interested in, what Mormonism or the Church of Jesus Christ, blah, blah, looks at and deals with the afterlife. Because they have some amazingly, to me, amazingly strange ideas about the afterlife and about who and what we are. And I think it would be wonderful to kind of catch up with what they're thinking. So she says she'll talk with us about that and she'll talk with us about this journey she's made into the freedom of understanding where her dad is now and what's really going on. I think you're just going to love her as a person. So I've asked her to be our guest next week. Please join us. And, of course, this week our guest has been your host. We have talked here pretty often lately about the fact that your mind is inextricably part of the infinitely powerful, vast, eternal mind that continuously manifests reality. It didn't just start it a long time ago. It manifests it instant by instant, very much as a thought is manifested in instant by instant. In fact, it's in the nature of a very solid-seeming thought. That's what reality actually is. Your mind is the only part of you that's actually real, and it's eternal. Of everything that you own, and I don't care how rich you are, how famous, how important you are, of all that you own and all that you have and all that you are, the only thing about you that is real is your mind. It's you, it's who you are, and it's forever. I think that if you've been here a while, you may have come to accept that by now, but few people realize some of the important implications of that eternal nature of your mind, of who you are. Almost no one realizes that you can do to your mind and your life for long after your death Tremendous harm, and you don't even know you're doing it. Managing your mind is the most important thing you can be doing with your life. Cleaning it up, making sure that the things that you think are constructive and positive, and you think that maybe this is going to turn you into a goody two-shoes. It doesn't at all. It frees you from negativity. Negativity is the one evil in the world. And as you free yourself from it, 
You are much more powerful, happier, able to do all the things you want to do with your life. It empowers you in ways you cannot even imagine. This is a brand new field of research. All of us are still in the learning stage. I'm giving you really what is cutting edge. I want you to know what we've learned so far about the care and feeding of the only actually important part of your glorious eternal life, and that's your mind. And the more, as I learn, we'll continue to talk about this. This is so, so important. And if you have questions, as always, you know, just all you have to do is contact me through the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. I answer every email. It can take a while because I get quite a few, but I'm so eager to help you. Of course, as you know, my nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, and soon The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught. That one's been that was one's been in the can, as they say in movies, uh, for two years. But I believe, according to what Thomas says, that we'll be putting it out next year. It'll be time then. For young children, there's the fun of meeting Jesus, and there soon will be the fun of growing with Jesus, which will be about helping children deal with death. I just have to get to it. I just there's so many much else, and that one apparently isn't critical yet either. You can order all these books through bookstores or on Amazon.com, and the adult books are all available as audiobooks as well. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net, which I think of as my, my home place, and also on realrevolutionradio.com, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and a number of other stations, including those in the wonderful Dream Vision 7 radio family. I think... People tell me now that you can find Seek Reality just about everywhere uh, you can find podcasts, and I hope that's right. More and more people, frankly, are telling me that now they listen through the Seek Reality app that you can find for free in the iTunes app store. You'll get the, the next podcast automatically. And if you ever wonder where Seek Reality can be heard right this minute, just go to robertagrimes.com and click the radio tab. If you enjoy our weekly conversations, you might also want to check out my blog at robertagrimes.com. As I say, I use my weekly blog post to work through some of the same issues we talk about here. But we have more space for analysis in the blog post. And there also are some wonderful, wonderful commenters who help people who are maybe not as far along or bring up you know, points that I didn't think of. We have wonderful conversations most of these blog posts have 50, in some cases over 100, um, comments in the comment chain, partly because I answer many of them and, and partly because they're just are, it's, a, it's a beautiful group of people and they're so loving to one another. So I want to give them a plug too. My dear friends, my role in your life is just to help you get to the truth about reality, about life, about God, about Jesus, about death, about everything. In just a few years' time, if you work at it, maybe it'll take a couple of years at most. It took me five decades to get to this place, and I don't want you to spend your life as I have doing this research. I want you to live it and be empowered by it. I want you as soon as possible to arrive at the sweet certainty that you are a powerful, indestructible, eternal, and perfectly loved being. Because then you can grow by light years. I don't care how old you are. You can make this your last necessary earth lifetime. It is that easy. 
to raise your personal consciousness vibration if you do it right. And that's my job to try to help you do that. I, you know, let's, let's all have a big reunion on the sixth level. I look forward to that so much. Meanwhile, of course, this had been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy now and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you in particular are a powerful, eternal being, and you, most of all in the universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.